Ladies and gentlemen, it's that time again. It's time for that BTSR podcast with your host, JP, Mike, and Nate, who is with us in spirit. So grab your cup of coffee, your gla- uh, glass of whiskey, or whatever your upper of choice is, and sit back and listen and enjoy. All right, what's going on, Mike? How you doing today? <laughs> good. Good, man. Hey, man, uh, we are getting really good feedback from the latest episodes of BTSR, so it's pretty good. It's pretty good. People are liking it, man. Slow, slowly on the uphill climb. That's right. So instead of three listeners, we got four now. Like we gained one. <laughs> <laughs> Making a big. No, actually, I'm looking at the stats, and uh, wow, we're we're getting listeners from all over the world. Like really, looking at the stats, Sweden, we got people in uh, Venezuela. I didn't even know that we're allowed to listen to podcasts anymore in Venezuela, but I, apparently somebody is. <laughs> it, it's got to be your it's got to be your accent. They can't understand you, so like always try to tune in and go. What's he saying this time? <laughs> uh, Colombia, Puerto Rico, Canada. I gonna say okay, so that makes sense because they do understand you. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say Alaska. It's not another country, but almost like it because it's all the way up there. Nobody, nobody yeah. really talks about people in Alaska <laughs> anyway. Uh, our latest guest was from Alaska, but you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, Mike. Hey, check it out. We. I want to say thanks. Uh, I don't know if you know Mike from Spotter Up. Oh yeah, Mike oh, and I are good friends. Man, he he had let's walk it out uh, on his uh, podcast, so he got us on video and all that. Man, mm-hmm. gave us really good push for let's walk it out, and for all the people listening, let's walk it out. It's only twenty two days away. All right, twenty two days away, and we're gonna get started with a two hundred and twenty two mile rock march uh, from Fable to Camlet June and back to Fable for suicide awareness prevention and all kind of programs out there. So. Mike gave us a big push. We filled up yep. all title sponsorships. We got full or all leg sponsorships as well. Nice. And, uh, man, it's just. Yeah, my, Mike's Mike's really good people. He's definitely uh, trying to create that network, especially veterans, uh, just pushing their agenda because it all comes back around to all, to all of us, really. Yeah, so. man. And let me tell you, he got the radio voice, you know, he's like, hey, listen. Yeah, it changes when he's on the microphone. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, he's talking to us. It's like, it's, hey, J- JP, how you doing? You know, I'm, I'm reading your yeah. bio, this and that. And all of a sudden he goes like, okay, we're going to get started. Welcome to Spotter Up. I'm like, whoa, where'd that it, voice come from? It, it is the same thing when he answers the phone. <laughs> hey, Mike, Spotter Up, thank you guys for uh, giving us a big push for Let's Walk It Out. Uh, we really appreciate it. And, uh, Mike, tonight we got a a guest that I, I was reading the bio. It, it looks really interesting. We're gonna let her talk, but we're gonna introduce her for our uh, listeners. It made, it, made, it made me hungry. <laughs> we we got Susan Combs, who is on a mission to help. The, uh, I gonna mess this up. The Misu Mizu Mizu Love Veterans Clinic by asking people to eat pancakes. I tell you what, I can do that. Uh, She's the champion behind the Pancakes for Roger movement and her new book, appropriately named Pancakes for Roger, was uh, was released in February 22nd, right? Yes. Perfect. Uh, so anyways, uh, Major General uh, Roger Combs was a highly decorated, decorated Vietnam veteran who was diagnosed with Agent Orange re, uh, related throat cancer in his later years, which he had been exposed to as a helicopter pilot in Vietnam. And we all know about Agent Orange and, you know, all the effects from that, horrible effects from that. Um, but uh, anyways, without further ado, Susan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. So, Susan, can you tell us a little bit about you? You know, who's Susan? That way people, <laughs> people get to know you in a personal level. 
It depends on the day. Um, (laughs) So um, I currently live in New York City. I have for the past 20 years, but I'm from a town of 986 people in the northwest corner of Missouri. Um, So in New York, I own an insurance brokerage and consulting practice, um, and I work a lot as an expert witness um, on medical malpractice cases, high in trip and falls, and general liability cases all across the country. So you know, like I said, depends on the day is who you get. And then now an, an author. So Wow, that is, that is really impressive. Uh, and uh, so you went from Missouri to New York. How how does that impact your life? Like in a personal level, like, you know, Missouri is like, you know, New York, they're crazy people. You know what I'm saying? It's just crazy people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, I... You know, I did have the benefit of, you know, my father was in the military, right? And my mother owned a travel agency. So my parents really instilled in me that the world was bigger than my backyard. But if I wanted to come back to my backyard at any given time, that was okay too. Um, But with my father's service and being exposed to so much, um, I just... I, I never thought I was confined um, to like the standard roles of a lot of people that I grew up with. And so I had the opportunity. I went to the University of Missouri or Mizzou, as we lovingly called it. You did all right. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm saying it. It's like kazoo, but I'm M. <laughs> um, so I came out here to New York for a job at the Marriott at the World Trade Center um, in May of 2001. And then a couple of weeks before my job started, it was uh, dissolved. And they said, okay, budget revamping, you get to pick from Detroit or New Orleans. And I remember looking at them and saying to Marriott, um, my mother got pictures of New York City on my going away cake. She did not get pictures of Detroit or New Orleans. I'm going anyway, find me something. So um, I don't know if you guys have ever been here on TDY, but um, I I lived in the soldiers and sailors and airmen's uh, hotel or I think you should call it a hostel. It probably it doesn't really have the caliber of hotel when you're sharing a bathroom and you're in a double bed or a single bed rather. And, uh, but that's where I lived for about a month after coming to New York. Cause my dad said, okay, you know what, see what you can find. And I, I graduated college in 2001 and it was a really good job market and I had a lot of experience. So, um, I came out here and secured a job and then I just, I stayed some days good. Some days not so good. <laughs> I don't know. I've been in New York a few times, uh, but Every time I go there, I can wait to get out. I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> especially, you know, uh, New York City, you know, it's, uh, you go over there and everybody's in a hurry. I'm like, dude, I- I'm retired. I'm on vacation, man. I'm having a good time. Why are you guys such in a hurry? Everybody's in a hurry. Ah, I got to go somewhere. We're busy. We're busy here. <laughs> but, but the funny thing is even the uh, homeless people are in a hurry. I'm like, dude, you're homeless. You, you ain't got a job. You ain't got anything to do. Where are you going, bro? Why are you going in such a hurry? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. No, I'm lucky. I'm lucky. I've only driven through there a couple of times and even driving through it. <laughs> I was like JP well, trying to get I, through it. I think it depends on the borough. Yeah. I live in Queens um, and Queens, as my husband said, the national um, sport of Queens is slalom driving um, because it's everybody double parks. Everybody does yeah. a U-turn. Everybody does whatever the hell they want. Um, but in if you're driving in, we call it the city, but Manhattan, there's very much rules. So it's I think it's a lot easier driving in Manhattan than, or the city than it is to drive in one of the boroughs for sure. Oh, my God. That is crazy. That's, so, Susan, <laughs> uh, tell us about Pancakes for Rogers. How? how Uh, for Roger, how did that start? It? I mean, because it just making me hungry every time I mention the name, I just get hungry. I just get hungry again. I want to put some chocolate chip on that. 
Yeah. So, um, so as you had mentioned before, my, um, my father was, um, diagnosed with Agent Orange related throat cancer in his, his later years. And the last year of his life, he had a feeding tube and he was on oxygen. And, um, I was fortunate enough to be able to basically move back home to Missouri and help care for him. Um, when he was in his, I mean, when he was on hospice and his, his, later weeks and, and months of his life. And so uh, my dad and I were very regimented. I mean, we were both extreme type A's up at 5 a.m. every day. Like that's just what we did. And so I had a regiment where I would get up, I would check on him. I would then I go and do my CrossFit workout at my little gym in King City, Missouri. And then I would come back, check on him again and then shower. And then we'd start the day. And one morning when I was coming down from the shower after hitting the gym, he was setting the table. And I looked at him and I said, what are you doing? And he said, well, I want pancakes for breakfast. And I looked at him and it just, it broke my heart because if you've ever dealt with anybody with a feeding tube or, um, you know, eating, uh, ailments, if you will, you, you can't have pancakes. Um, you have to have everything through the feeding tube. And I, I looked at him and I said, oh, dad, I said, you know, I just, there's nothing I want more than give you pancakes for breakfast, but we have a feeding tube and we have a DNR. And if, if you choke, we're done here. And I just don't think we're ready to be done yet. And he said, Oh, you know, yes, I can. Um, my brother's a nurse. And he said, Matt, Matt told me I could. And my brother wasn't there that morning. So I knew his oxygen levels had gotten low and he had had some confusion. So I said, you know what, let me see what I can do. And my dad, you know, he was, he was first a Marine. I know he retired as an air force general, but he was first a Marine and he will always have been a Marine. Um, cause he was very proud of his service there. And so he wanted his tube feeding uh, formula heated up for 14 seconds, not 13, not 15, always 14 <laughs> on the dot. So I heated it up and I put it on the table and he said, what's that? And I said, there's your syrup. And so his oxygen levels had kind of started rallying around. And so he kind of understood what I was saying to him. And so then, um, a few weeks later after he passed away, I, I came back to New York and I took one day off work and my husband said, you know what, let's go have some pancakes for your dad. And so that's kind of how the movement started. Um, I went to my local diner here in Queens, the Bel Air diner that I'm a huge fan of. And we, um, we had pancakes. My husband took the first picture and I told the story about um, pancakes for Roger. And I said, you know, if you're so inclined today, go ahead and have some pancakes for my dad, because, you know, at the end of the day, your life can change in the blink of an eye. I mean, a lot of the veterans here know that. And so, you know, it's, it's about appreciating the, the little things like a stack of pancakes because you never know when that can be taken away. So that's kind of how it started. And then my father's birthday um, was February 22nd. And so that's how we started the movement is the month of February for every pancake loving picture we get on social media using the hashtag pancakes of Roger. My company, um, Combs and Company, that's an insurance brokerage, makes a donation to the University of Missouri Veterans Clinic that provides free legal services um, to veterans navigating the VA claims and appeals process. And we know we all need that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, oh, hell. I mean, I know when my father passed away, I mean, I, I logged one week, 14 hours on the phone. Just with the VA. Uh, I'm probably and, 10 of um, those were on hold. Eight, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I love my brother. He's great. But I remember at the end of my week that week, he said, well, is there anything I can do? I'm like, well, not now. <laughs> I mean, I spent 14 hours on the freaking phone with the VA. So, but, um, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of how the movement started. And then um, I, people had been after me to write a book for a long time because I share a lot of my dad's advice um, along the way. And so it, 
when I publicly speak, I always end with unsolicited advice from people that I've gotten along the way. And it just seemed like the right time uh, to put a book together. And so I thought my dad was going to be a chapter. And then he was, you know, he was the pages that all the words were written on. So he had, it, it just had to be Pancakes for Roger. So the full title is Pancakes for Roger, a mentorship guide for slaying dragons. <laughs> And I fought for that freaking title. Um, when we were working on it, we were like a mentorship guide for life. And and then I woke up at two in the morning and I was like, fucking dragons. We need to slay some That's dragons. That's right. So, does <laughs> does, does like, that have a story behind it? I'm sorry. Does that, that have a story behind it? The slaying dragons? You know, I mean, I just think dragons, I mean, we all have dragons, right? I mean, we all, <laughs> you know, achieve great things. We all have obstacles to overcome. And so it's just, I, you know, why not slay some dragons along the way while you're learning? That is freaking awesome. <laughs> that is freaking <laughs> awesome. You know what? That's a Marine's daughter right there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a Marine daughter right there. So, uh, Susan, can you tell us, like, let, let's go back a little bit. Uh, can you tell us, every, I mean, pretty sure you got cool stories, but who was your dad? Because we, we know what the pancakes are for and, you know, who are, but now let us know. Who are we eating these pancakes for? We want to know about your dad. So my dad, oh man, he was he was he was good when nobody was watching. <laughs> he just he really was, and he just helped so many people. I mean, he was a badass, and he had such a wry smile and a dry sense of humor. I mean, he would be the guy that would zing you, and you wouldn't realize it until a week later, and then you'd be like, "Oh, that's what he meant." So, um, you know, but he he's just always mentored a lot, and I mean, after he passed. The people that reached out to my family, just text messages and emails and just, I mean, in, in the civilian world, he was actually a judge too. And, you know, there were people that reached out and said, you know, when your dad was an attorney, he was my guardian at Lydum. And when my parents were battling over me for the custody battle, your dad made me feel safe when nobody else would. And I was recently interviewed on Veterans Radio, and I had a gentleman that was a former F-16 pilot that reached out to me and said he had met my dad. Um, when he was right out of flight school and he said, your dad told me there's rocks in the clouds. And he said, I always remember that. He said, I went on to become a flight instructor. And he said, every single class that I ever taught got that advice from Roger Combs. And so things like that are just so cool. And my, my town, I mean, I grew up in a town. I mean, I graduated high school, 15 people. I only had one cousin in the class, but 15 people. And um, after my dad passed, I went, you know, the next day I went to the gym because that was the one thing I could control when my dad was on hospice and everything was just crazy. And so I always had that time to myself so that I knew if I had to give to everybody else the rest of the day, I had one hour for myself. And, um, that morning, you know, after he passed, I went to the gym and when I was walking back, I kept hearing a clanging and something just told me to look up and I looked up and, you know, our post office had put the flag at half mast for him. Oh. So, you know, if that's not a testament to how somebody lived their life, I don't know what is. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. And he did a, uh, he was in Vietnam. Do you know how many tours? Uh, he was in uh, one tour. He went in 68 and then uh, 68 to 70, if I remember. Well, guess what? One tour in Vietnam is pretty much all you need to know for yeah. everything you need to know about Vietnam. You know, talking to a lot of friends of ours that, that have family members or, or here at Fort Bragg, we got a lot of Vietnam veterans here mm -hmm. and they'll tell you, you know yeah. what? I know some people got three or four tours in Vietnam, but one, that's all you really needed. Yeah. That's all yeah, you really needed. Yeah. 
Well, and he's, you know, I mean, and my dad was such a, like a modest and humble man. I mean, he grew up, my dad was literally born on the farm, on a dairy farm, you know, not in a hospital, on a farm. And, you know, so it's, and my dad never forgot where he was from. So when my father got his second star and we had a, we had a big party for him and we had a party for him in Missouri. And it was so cool to be a child of somebody that accomplished that nobody really knew it. So it, but by that, what I mean is, you know, all of his circles just came together and intersected. I mean, my dad has a four page Wikipedia page and I don't think even half of the people in my family knew about it. I mean, I didn't know about it until somebody said it to me one time. And so, but it was like his military family, his church family, his regular, you know, like our family family. And then the courthouse family all came together for his party. And it was just so cool to see him just take it all in and appreciate that. Because sometimes I think when you, you know, you're kind of an overachiever and you do a lot of things. I mean, he didn't do it for the awards and the accolades. He did it because it was the right thing to do. Well, you know, a lot of times too is us as family members, right? We are mothers or fathers, uncles, whatever. We see him and it's like we see him every day. So that, oh, that's mom. That's that. We don't really see all the things that they're doing in the background and all the amazing, amazing things they're doing because to us, they're mom, they're dad, right? But when other people come around and they tell us, hey, you know, your mom is amazing. She did this, she did. And you're like, what? My mom did that? Yeah. Oh, snap. I didn't <laughs> know that. Right? Right? Because you don't think about it. I mean, in a, yeah. what was it? A two, three episodes ago, we were talking, maybe two or three. Uh, I lost count. Uh, it's uh, We were talking to Tiffany. Uh, and she was explaining when, when she was in her husband, one of the award ceremonies. And she's sitting there and they start reading his two bronze stars that he's getting that one day. And they're reading that, and she's like, "What? What he did? A, what? Because she's used to seeing, oh, that's my husband, the same goofy dude that is in the house, just acting stupid with me and being funny." And then she, they start reading all that, and they're like, "Wow, did, did he really do all that? Man, I'm married to a badass, right?" But <laughs> but she didn't she didn't realize that until that moment, you know, when somebody else told her who he was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, my, my father, um, he was, he was buried at Arlington um, with full military honors. And we had, we had 200 people at his service from six different countries. And it was just, man, it was perfect. And I, I stressed out big time on that because I wanted it to be perfect for him because that's what he deserved. And if you've ever talked to, you know, the, the men and women that work at Arlington, they demand perfection because that's what, That's what our, our fallen deserve. And so, you know, from the Air Force band to the horse-drawn carriage to the flyover to the bagpipes, I mean, it was just unbelievable. And, um, you know, he, he definitely got the send-off he deserved. And I remember um, him talking to me about that. I mean, you know, one thing I always tell people is, God, have those hard conversations. Have those hard conversations to find out the information that you need to find out because it's, I was so thankful that I did. I mean, I'm My dad and I were both type A. I have two spreadsheets that have, you know, things from passwords to who I call to sell the guns to, to who I call to sell the Winnebago to. I mean, who the plumber is. I mean, all that stuff I had because I, we had the gift of, of knowing that the end was coming. But, you know, when we, when we were talking about where he was going to be buried, we knew he would, you know, he was eligible for Arlington and my dad said, ah, I don't know. And I looked at him and I was like, are you freaking kidding me? 
I was like, you deserve that. You served 39 years and four months. You deserve to be buried there because you and ultimately gave your life for this country. So I was so happy that he got that honor. Um, I will say um, that one of the things on my spreadsheet, I probably shouldn't say it in an interview because then it'll follow me, but um, my dad did make a request that his dog is included with him <laughs> at some point. And my brother said to me like, yeah, Suze, I know you're good, but you're not that good. And I was like, uh -uh. I was like, I am like really good friends with the county coroner. I was like, the dog will kick it before mom does. I said, I'll get that dog cremated. I'll hold on to that dog. And I said, when mom goes, I said, I'll just shake him together and put him <laughs> in there and he'll have his dog. <laughs> Let's end the stigma attached to PTS. Let's walk it out. A 222-mile rock march dedicated to suicide prevention starts March 31st in Fayetteville. Register to march or donate today. Text 222-NC to 41444 or visit letswalkitout.org. <laughs> there's always a will mm -hmm. and there's a way. <laughs> that is that is pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> He'll, he'll be proud. He'll be so proud, too. You know, it, 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 it's funny. You mentioned that everything needs to be perfect, right, for somebody who, who gave so much for, for this country, right, and sacrificed so much. And uh, I remember it was early uh, or earlier mid-2000s, right? <clears throat> the Army have changed. Actually, it was DOD changed the policy on, on, on burials, military funerals. And... Um, I, I happened to be in red cycle task in their mic uh, in seventh group when that happened. So they go like, hey, uh, you're in funeral detail. I'm like, okay. So, you know, there I am. Uh, we, we're with a few guys that came from, uh, uh, oh, my God, from Arlington work, working over there, uh, the uh, honor guards over there, right? So there's mm -hmm. a few of those guys that came over and, and they were in group, you know, and they're like, oh, man. Let's practice this. So we start practicing and rehearsing, you know, the, the, the whole ceremony and folding the flag and all that good stuff. And we're like, oh, man, so when we get called, we got this. That's what we thought. So we get the first uh, Sergeant Major call. He's like, hey, hey, uh, can you do this detail? And like, what do you mean, can you? I'm, uh, I'm on tasker. I have to. All right. Tell me where I, I got to be. He was such a nice Sergeant Major, too. He always asked you, even though that he knew you needed to, he always asked you if you were okay with it. And I'm like, what if I'm mm -hmm. not Sergeant Major? Well, you're still going to do it, but I just want to be nice. <laughs> so, so anyways, I got called. It was myself and Ariel Lopez. Of course, I sent the two Puerto Ricans that can't speak English, right, to do a funeral detail. <laughs> So anyways, they call me and Ariel and we showed up in the company and we're waiting for everybody else. And we're like, what's going on? So I called the Sergeant Major and like, hey, Sergeant Major. He's like, hey, we're, we're missing a lot of people here for this funeral detail. And he said, no, it's Go just you him. and Ariel. <laughs> no, it's just you and Ariel. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, DOD policy change. He's like, check, check your email. Go in the team room and check your email. So I checked the email and that's when they said, if you were not retired, you didn't get full honors, right? Because because there were, I forgot whether it was, I don't know, restrictions, constraints, or whatever it was that they didn't have enough people to do details. I, I don't know exactly what it was, but it was limited, right? So this guy was Vietnam vet. He was POW twice, shut down three times in Vietnam, right? And, but he only served 10 years. So there I show up, I was so embarrassed. I mean, of course, we got this little, you know, the, the, the sedan that the Army gives you, the government vehicle. Woo, we're driving over there. It was somewhere in North Carolina. I forgot what it was. I know it was like two hours away. And uh, so we got over there and we show up and they're looking at us and we're in uniform. 
And I, I'm looking at Ariel, I'm like, this is so freaking embarrassing. And he goes like, bro, there's nothing we can do. We're following orders. I'm like, all right. So we showed up over there, man, with a boom box. Oh, I swear to God, with a boom box. With a not, CD. not the fake bugle with the smartphone? Not even that. It was just a, a DVD, uh, a CD. We hit play. Plays the taps. We're done. Myself and Ariel fold the flag. We give it to the family. It was so freaking embarrassing. And, and this, other, you know, of course, it's full of Vietnam vets over there. <laughs> and uh, they're looking and they go like, hey, what's going on? Where's everybody else? And we tell them, listen, there's a new DOD policy, this and that. We are so sorry that we had to do this, right? They're like, well, it's not your guy's fault. We're going to take care of you. We, you know, you got dinner, you got this and that. It's like, but you tell the army we're mad at them, right? Now, That was the first, the first one I had. Then we did about two more like that. And it was so, of course, we've perfected the two-man, you know, two-man two ceremony. But it was so embarrassing. We, we showed up, and the first thing we did every, every single time we showed up after that was apologize, right? And then we went and did another detail that it was retiree, 23 years in the Army, retires as Master Sergeant from the Army band. Now, nothing against him, right? He did his entire career in the Army band because that's what he signed up for. That was, that's what he was supposed to do, right? He did his job. He did it right. But how are you going to tell me that that Vietnam vet that got, was POW twice, got shot down three times, don't deserve a full burial, but the other guy does? I think everybody deserves yeah. it, right? Yeah. Just like the master sergeant deserve it, that that Vietnam veteran deserved it as well. And it was so embarrassing at that point when they started doing that, that the Marines actually came out and they said, we will do our burials full details and we will, because the DOD was not funded anymore. They said, we will fund it. We don't care how they die, when they die, we're going to do full, full ceremony for everyone. And they started funding it themselves. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like a, I know, like with Arlington, it's like a perfect storm right now. There's 40 funerals a day there. And, you know, it's so, I mean, it took, it, it was over a year before we buried my father. My father died on um, August 22nd, 2018. And then he was buried September um, 27th, 2019. And it took us, I think it was eight months before we even had a date. I mean, and I was calling, I mean, they get tired of hearing from me. I was calling every week, every week, every week. Do I have my date? Do I have my date? Do I have my date? Because we knew we had people from all over the world that wanted to come to it. And, um, and it's, but I mean, my, my grandparents are both buried at Arlington. My grandfather was a, um, a paratrooper in World War II. And, uh, so when he passed, when my, my grandmother passed away first, she was buried in a week and that was in 83. And then my grandfather passed away in, um, oh eight, I believe. And, uh, and he was buried in a, in a month. So it's just like, since, you know, 20 or, you know, 2008 to 20, you know, 10 years later, basically it's like a year, year wait at least. Yeah. I think that's due to not only all the wars going on. And so now, now we got more veterans than ever, right. <laughs> at any single point. Well, but it's perfect storm. Right. So it's just like you, I mean, you still have a couple of World War II guys. I mean, and it's just like, and then you have Vietnam and then you have Desert Storm yep. and you have, you know, uh, and you have so many different things. It's like, there's just a lot of, a lot of guys. Oh, yeah. So you come from a big military family. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, on, so my, my mother's uh, father was military. My, um, my dad's side, I mean, there was, you know, my, um, my uncle was in the air force and there was definitely, um, service members, but I mean, my dad was a farm kid. So, you know, a lot of, of, you know, my family on that side were, you know, more rural, um, you know, uh, sharecropping and, you know, dairy farm and, Angus and all that good stuff. So we still have the family farms in our family. So I actually manage the family farms from New York. So that's, <laughs> I've learned a lot. <laughs> so I have a couple of cousins that have kind of taken me under their wing. And, you know, and that was one of the things that it was important to my dad. So the guy that he had always done sharecropping with, he had him come over to the house before he passed away and just kind of give me a farming 101. And uh, so I kind of knew what to do. And then it's kind of, I don't know. It's kind of funny because now it's like the guy that we shared cropped with for decades, he's passed it down to his son. So it's his son and me. I mean, I'm a lot older than his son, but it's just, you know, when we're talking about like, what's plant this year, are we going to dual crop? Are we going to do different things like that? I'm like, ask your dad, ask your dad if my dad would be mad if I did this. (laughs) So, Because my dad always said, Larry, I'll do it how I do it. I said, okay. So I always have to check with Larry's son and make sure he checks with Larry. So I know I'm doing the right thing still. <laughs> and uh, so for all the listeners that, you know, they, they want to support this cause, right? Pancakes for Roger. So there's the hashtag pancakes for Roger, but if there's any account yeah. that they can tag also like, like an Instagram account or something like that, that they can tag or they can go and find more information about this. Yeah. So, I mean, they can find more information. I mean, we, they can go to the website, pancakesforroger.com. Pretty easy website to remember. That has the information about the book. It also has the backstory about how it got started. Um, and then on, on the website right now, we have our map. So we, we hit all 50 states and we got 17 countries this year. Um, so we were ending up, we're going to, we make a donation actually to the university tomorrow. And with all the pictures we got, we're going to make a donation. I think it's $5,135. Right. So, so how the donation uh, how yeah. the donation versus you know the the pictures and hashtags how how do that does that work for the donations so um typically what happens is so we we count up all the pictures and everything like that and then we make a donation for every single picture so this year we made a seven dollar and seventy cent donation for every single picture because my dad would have been seventy seven years old so um and the book was released on his birthday so this year it was 22222 which was pretty cool. Yeah, that's correct. It was uh, yeah. it was a big thing for suicide awareness and prevention as yeah. well that 22222. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well cuz I also did the um the push-up challenge. So the 22 push-ups a day in the month of February. Do you do them all? Of didn't course. take a break? I can do a push-up. <laughs> Crossfitter. I could do, and I was actually ROTC for a couple of years in college too. So I, I know how to do a right push-up. Yeah. <laughs> None of this yeah. bullshit. <laughs> None of the on the knees, bad form. I'm like, you can put your 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 fist under my sternum, and I'm hitting it every. You know? well, I figure, I figure with your dad, you were probably at five o'clock doing doing push-ups in the morning, anyways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was always always up early. <laughs> Mike, you wanna get some pancakes tonight or? I got some Kodiak on the counter right now. I'm probably going to. There you go. I'll, I'll tell you, um, we we eat so many pancakes the month of February that I have to take like a three-month hiatus after I'm done. And so when I see somebody, they'll be like, oh, let's go have pancakes for your dad. I'm like, how about you have pancakes for my dad? I've had enough of pancakes for my dad. My nutritionist will not be happy with me with if I have more. Our macros are spent. I'll, I'll take the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know. I but I do the Kodiak. I, you know, we do the protein pancakes. We actually did Kodiak pancakes with perfect bars in them. Mm. 
There's some extra protein, and those are pretty good this year, too. That's pretty yeah, good. I usually throw an extra scoop of Alpha Elite Performance protein in mine. So. <laughs> plug, plug. Yeah, <laughs> you actually, yeah, you actually yeah. do that, Mike? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't tried that yeah. at all, you know, like adding protein into it. Yeah, just oh, yeah. an extra 20 grams of protein. Yeah, I know. My breakfast is like, I, I have like over 60 grams just in my breakfast, and then I, you know, still spaced out the rest of the day, too. Tell you what I'm horrible when it comes to nutrition. Like I just eat what whatever I find. That, that's what I'm gonna eat. You know, like in the morning. Well, you need, you're still trying to bring weight back in. So yeah, it's all right. You know, in the mornings I might one day it can be a yogurt with granola. The next day might be uh, scrambled eggs with bacon and you know some toast, and I'll have a banana. And then the next day might be just coffee. Like I have no schedule when it comes to freaking breakfast. <laughs> you, you might want to start upping those carbs a little bit. Come for this. Let's walk it out thing. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you gotta you gotta feed the muscle. Let me tell you, you I gotta be. Do. You're not gonna live on Jolly Ranchers candies and you know energy shots like we used to for twelve milers. Bro, I gonna I gonna bring like like bread in my backpack. <laughs> like my rucksack is gonna be full of bread. <laughs> That's it. It's gonna be like, so, um, I, uh, so I've done I've done a lot of like half marathons and stuff like that, and then I did a triathlon triathlon that I realized I was a bad swimmer for the first time, um, and so then I got smart and I did a team triathlon. And I remember it was in New York City. I was the one driving. You know, I had my swimmer in my car, and I'm like, where the hell's my runner? Like. I like I had a ringer team, so she was a marathoner. I'm like, where the hell's this chick? And so I called, and she's like, oh my god. I was on an international call and then I fell asleep. So I drive down to pick her up all the way downtown in New York city. It was like not a pleasant thing. And then we had to drive out to long Island. So I pick her up and like, we're driving, driving, driving. And I start smelling something like I smell peanut butter, such strong peanut butter. I was like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm making sandwiches. She had brought, she had grabbed a loaf of bread and a jar of peanut butter. And I it was making peanut butter sandwiches. In there. She's like, want a sandwich? <laughs> you know, so, but we had to get the, the protein and the carbs in before we, we competed, but we, we actually got first place. Then. Oh, that's, pretty that's, cool. that's very similar to what I was using for the tactical games a couple of years ago. So, for energy. <laughs> well, what I'm were you? Same, I'm going to do the same thing for the Patriot Games in June. So, what were you doing, Mike, for the tactical games? What were you eating? Oh, uh, the pe the peanut butter sandwiches, maybe a little bit of like a little squirrel of honey on there, and honey, yeah, sugar, yeah. No cupcakes. No. No. Carla's, I mean, Carla, Car Car Carla, Carla did bring some some stuff, but yeah, Carla's cupcakes. <laughs> yeah. Well, what is, like Matt Fraser used to do what Snickers bar and a Coke, right? In the CrossFit <laughs> yeah. games, like that was his like snack of, of champions, and you know he won. Some you know, I know guys that I know the guys that swear by like a handful of gummy bears after you work out. You know, and I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, I, I think everybody's different. I think I think it might have nothing to do with nutrition. It might be just it motivates you, right? You it just it's gummy energy. bears motivates me. It just <laughs> makes me feel better. It have nothing to do with nutrition, man. It just whatever. <laughs> It's like the people that, that finish a rock march and then they're dehydrated, right? And they put a dip in. And I'm like, dude, what would you do that? Oh, it makes me feel better. It's like, dude, if I do that, I'll pass out. First of all, I pass out with the smell alone. <laughs> it's like I don't like the smell of freaking Copenhagen or whatever it is. But it's crazy, man. That, that was um, a high school boys initiation in football. It was freshman – boys after their first two a day they had to do a big deal oh. most of the kids did not come to school the next day because they had never chewed before and they ended up swallowing it oh, and oh no <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. 
God bless the Midwest. <laughs> Just a little bit of hazing. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> hey, uh, Susan, and you, you said the, the information for your book is on the website, right? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. all the information is on the website. Uh, so if you're listening, uh, pancakesforroger.com, go and check it out. Buy the book. Don't be cheap. Don't be cheap. Uh, no, we got a lot of cheap listeners, too. And, I mean, starting with Nate, our our other co-host. <laughs> Uh, he he's very cheap. He will ask you to send you one for free. That's what he's going to say. Hey, can you can you send me one for free and I'll promote it? I'm like, no, bro, buy it. If you're listening, Nate, we're talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you can buy it on Amazon. It's a hell of a lot cheaper than a than a um, you know a can of dip. Huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, so, how, how how's the book been so far? It's been pretty successful. Is it starting slow? I mean, I know I know some people that the book starts slow and then all of a sudden. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I'm a very much a realist. I mean, the goals for the book for me were to bring more awareness to the veterans clinic at the university of Missouri and to help five people. Those are my goals. And so, um, it's definitely brought more awareness to, to the veterans clinic. And, uh, we hit Amazon bestseller on day one. And so that's, that's not typical. Um, but I'm like, Oh, Amazon's rigged. Like, well, of course I'm going to hit it. And they're like, they're like, no, they're like Susan day three, four. Okay. But they're like never day one. But the funny thing I thought was that the categories I hit because I was number one in parenting, which I'm not a parent. And number two, it was like, I was number one and it was like biographical research and something. And it's all serial killer books in mine. So I was like, well, that's a little more apropos, but you know, it just, it was interesting to say the least. Yeah, it's funny. I, I forgot who it was. Who was the one that? Oh, I think it was John from uh, uh, Wired Differently that was telling us that his book that has to do with you know mental health and and stuff like that. It was in different categories like horror and stuff like that. And he was like, yeah, "Why? Why is it coming in these weird weird categories? But then in those categories are actually higher than it is in what it's supposed to be." <laughs> You're like, "What the heck yeah, is this?" You know, it's weird. It's weird. Well, and you know, I mean, where I've been getting a lot of friends, I mean, I have a, a good friend that, so my father was, um, his, uh, unit was the, the purple foxes with the Marine Corps. And, um, I got to be friends. I, I'm actually very good friends with a guy that was the purple Fox representative at my dad's funeral in Missouri. So we just instantly connected and, you know, I just think, I mean, I'm, I, you know, I'm not military like you guys, but it's just, if you grow up around it, you're just, you, you know, each other, like you see each other and you just, you feel it. And so he and I just had this instant connection. And, um, so he actually, I had a party, a book party in Missouri this past week and, um, he came up and he had bought six books because he all had military friends that had just had their first baby. And he said, I'm going to use this. I said, this is going to be their parenting guide because he said, I wish I had this when I had my little kids because it's just practical knowledge and it's good. You know, it's just simple things. I mean, like you guys are military, so you probably have heard the, you know, the expression like no step for a stepper. And in the civilian world, people don't hear that. And so there's things that, you know, like one of my best lessons from my dad was drive the car. Um, you know, if you grew up in the Midwest or you grew up in the South, like we were all driving at a very young age. I mean, if you grew up around a farm, you're, you know, you're driving at 10, 11, 12 years old. It's not a big deal, but we didn't really do highway driving. And so when my dad was teaching me highway driving, he would just, he would jerk the steering wheel and make me go off the road. And he would just say, drive the car, drive the car, drive the car. So it became just subliminal that he was like, you could be the best driver in the world, 
but you have to worry about the assholes around you because you never know what to expect. And so it's just such a good metaphor for life that sometimes when things get too big or you get overwhelmed, you just have to go back to the basics and keep it simple and just, you know, drive the car. So those are the things that, um, that he kind of, you know, instilled in me that I think are just really good lessons to just pass along. Um, because I think a lot of times, you know, people just make things so complex now and, or it's just like, I mean, I did not grow up in the generation where everybody got a trophy. So it's like, you had to work for the stuff that you had. And so I think that, I can see a little bit of a return to that, I think, um, with a lot of my friends that are parents, like they just don't want to give in and let their kid just, you know, have a participation trophy or the most improved when you, when you suck, you suck, you know, it's like, you don't get a trophy you know, for now, that. If you suck um, at soccer, that means find another sport. You, you suck at it. <laughs> it's like this. Or, you know, you, you didn't make the team. Yeah. You know, I mean, heaven forbid somebody not make it. You know, it's team. like um, my, my kid, he used to play soccer when he was when he was younger and he lost, uh, you know, his team lost the first tournament. And I look at him and I was like, you know what that means? It's like, yeah, train and work harder for next year if you want to win. Otherwise, and, and you know what? He didn't mind. He didn't mind. Actually, he ended up quitting soccer because then they they started the whole everybody gets a trophy, even the, the guys that lost. And he didn't like it. He said, I didn't earn it. So he quit soccer. Uh, now. At this point, now he's 18. He'll probably take the trophy now. He'll probably be like, oh, I didn't have to work hard. Yeah, I'll take it now. But when he was young. <laughs> he raised him with those values of like saying he didn't deserve the trophy, right? Like he gets that. And not everybody gets that. So I have a friend, his name's Cam, um, Cam Martin, and he has, he's like a generational expert. And so the one thing he's told me is that, you know, you have like the classic millennial traits and the, you know, Gen Xers and whatever. But he said, you know, even with the millennials, if their family were in law enforcement or military or farming, they don't abide by the stereotypes. So that's one of the things that I've seen that I, I see with, because a lot of my friends were, you know, law enforcement and, um, or, you know, military backgrounds. And I can see that with those kids. And I think it's pretty refreshing. Yeah. So can we safely say that your book, you know, all the, all the little, little, uh, things that you got in there for, for helping people, most of those could be considered child abuse these days, right? Because when we grew up, it was normal. Like your, your father, your father, your father, your father. JP, cut this out of the podcast. You better cut this out of the podcast. You, you know what I'm saying? Because in our days, your father smacked you over the head. You're like, oh man, I was a dumbass. You do it these days. Oh my God, child abuse. Oh, oh my God, I'm hurting. No, it's like, all the, it's funny because all the stuff that we grew up and it's normal for us, now kids cry about. And they're like, no, you can't say that to your kid. What? What? You yeah. Well, I mean, so when I was back home, um, I had some of my old teachers that came to like the the parties at Missouri, and we were talking about like, you know, we we all had corporal punishment in school, right? There was a paddle on the wall, and if you got in trouble at school, you were really in trouble at home. And now I have friends that are teachers, and they're like, if a kid gets trouble at school, then the parents are coming in screaming at the teachers. And so it's just a different, a different mentality. I mean, it was also, it was just a different time. Right. I, and I know that, I mean, it was before the internet yeah. and before all the social media. And I, I think it would be tremendously hard to be a parent now. I just like, yeah. can't even imagine having to like try to do the whole competing with the Joneses. But, you know, in my hometown, I mean, the boys were going deer hunting before school and, you know, the gun racks were filled in the parking lots and nothing happened. You know, it, it was just a different time. Mm -hmm. You, you know, all that stuff's gone now. Yeah, my mother used to do the same. She'd come to school if I get in trouble. Now, she never went there, like, yelling at me. 
or at the teachers. She went there to gather the information, right? She's like, okay, let me see whose ass I got to beat today. So she gathers the information. <laughs> and if it was the teacher, oh, they knew. They knew you had to run, right? But if it was me, not only I get an ass whooping at school, but then on the way home, I get another one. And when I get home, oh, See, that's where the real one comes. I, I had that beat back in the day because they'd always send like a letter or something. So I just had to beat the mail home and get it before my dad did. <laughs> Scott clean. As long as I got home before the mail and he did. I so when, I was playing, when I was playing sports, it was like, did he check the mail or not? Hit or miss. But. I can I can see so Mike running to... running home trying to make it there uphill both ways. So one of my cousins. So one of my cousins. Um, so my my uncle, my dad's brother, um, was you know he was a, a carpenter, but he was also a farmer. Like he was kind of cutting edge on artificial insemination of horses. Like he's all over horse magazines from when I was a kid. But anyway, like <laughs> he used to have where his sidebar. Um, but so his daughter. Um, she, had, she had to make her bed before she left. I mean, we had to make our beds. Like that's, that was the rule. And since he would always get up to go touring, like at four thirty-five in the morning, it was before she got on the bus. So what she was doing is she was sleeping in and then coming home from school and then making her bed after she got home from school. Well, he came back home one time and he found out and he destroyed her room, destroyed it. Like took the, the drawers out, dumped everything off, style. just destroyed it. And then said, clean it up. And your bed better be made before you leave for school from now on. It, it never was unmade ever again. So, you know, it's, it's a hard lesson sometimes we learn, but, you know, they build character for sure. It's like I always tell everyone, it's like my mother used to used to hit me, hit me hard. And a lot of times I deserve it too. You know, it's like, huh. but, but I, I turn out okay, right? I turn out okay. <laughs> and then you look at this. But then you look at these kids these days and you're like, okay, oh no, you gotta, you gotta let him do what he wants. You know, he's his own person. I'm like, he's eight years old. <laughs> you can't let him do whatever he wants. You know, it's like, what are you talking about? Oh yeah. He broke the window. It's okay. He'll break it again tomorrow. Probably. So I won't fix it. <laughs> It's crazy. Latina moms, they know, they know the deal. They'll, they'll beat you yeah. in the mornings, right? And you're like, what was that for? Ah, just in case you do something while you're at school and I'm not there to beat you. <laughs> you just get it in advance. <laughs> Look at Mike. He's like, what the hell? I'm just saying, you're the only person to get away with stereotyping Latinos and Puerto Ricans like that. I mean. Oh, bro. Oh, bro. But but you, you know it's true. Latino moms are crazy. And you probably see him over there where you live. She over probably there. has a knife, too. Yes. And when you live <laughs> over there uh, in Florida, you probably see all the Latino moms at the supermarket at Walmart going like, mira, mira, mira. Like, uh, that's, that's down south. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> I actually saw that not too long ago here at the Walmart. Uh, all I hear is like, mira, mira, mira. You hear this. And I'm like, what the hell? And then you see a flip-flop flying across the freaking aisle. They're saying, like, mira, mira. So they go like this and go, <laughs> I got PTSD. Yeah. I, I thought I saw the flip flop. I'm like, oh, that's my mom, Chancleta. I'm like, oh my God, it's coming my way. So my, um, one of my best friends is from Jamaica originally. <laughs> Jamaican mothers are very similar. And um, I was in Jamaica speaking at a conference 
and I was at the airport getting ready to leave. And I was watching this exchange with like this four-year-old little boy and his mother. He kept asking for candy, kept asking for candy, kept asking for candy. She kept telling him no. And then he put it in the, the cart. She took off her shoe and just nailed him. And I was like sitting there. I was like, wow, that's how Carlene <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't think he'll do that again. At least not today. No, no, he, he won't try it. No, he won't try it for a few days. For a few days, you know. The kids so, keep... so basically, so basically, Susan took all this, wrapped it up in a book, and said, "Here you go." <laughs> I, well, I guess you could use the book. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> there you go, Susan. I like the way you think. <laughs> don't worry, our listeners—they know us. They know we're always messing around, <laughs> and the new ones. Oh well, this is who we are. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Susan, no. Uh, it, y your story is, is is really amazing, and, and I'm glad you wrote a book. You know, you you still honoring the memory the memory of your father, and uh, it, it's just amazing. It's just good to see that that you you see a lot of family members where their father or mother die, and they completely forget about them. You know, they they're like, "Oops!" If, if you don't mention their name, they'll be like, "Oh, oh yeah, that was my dad." Yeah, like, but you you live. Like, like it's right next to you every single day. And that's pretty freaking awesome. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, I mean, but one thing I do say in the book is like, I, I know I had a great father and I had a great relationship with my father and I know, know not everybody has that. And so, you know, I think you got to recognize that. So, you know, one of the things I talk about in the book is like, you have the family you're born with and then you have your chosen family, you know, doesn't mean you can't surround yourself by people that are going to be good role models and mentors along yep. the way. Um, so, you know, my, my dad, I mean, part of the proceeds of the, the sale of the book actually go to the veterans clinic because it was important for me to just kind of help further that legacy for him. I mean, we set up a scholarship at the university of Missouri law school for veterans. So if a veteran wants to go to law school, they can apply for it because that's who my dad was. I mean, my dad had, um, you know, he went into the Marine Corps as an officer, But it was, he was getting drafted and he was close to graduating with his undergrad. So that's how he was able to do that. But he had um, attended one semester of law school. But then when he came back, I remember him telling me that, you know, he had a crew cut and he used to wear a hairpiece to go register for classes because Vietnam was not, mm -hmm. you know, college campus friendly um, when you came to register for classes. And he said, you know, people spat on you. And he said, I just, I wanted to keep my head down, get, you know, get my work done. But one of the things that he found is when he went to the university is he found his crew. So there were other students that were veterans and there were teachers that were veterans. So they used to have beer, pizza, and war story nights um, every week. And so you had the teachers and the students that would come together because, you know, they were older students. They had actually lived life. And so they were able to connect in that way. So that's one of the things my dad always taught me is like, you got to find your tribe no matter where you are. So when I came out to New York, he was like, find the University of Missouri alumni chapter. He was like, you won't have to explain yourself to people. People will get where you're from and you'll just have an instant connection, instant bond. So that was how, like, I started kind of making almost like New York City, a small city or a small town, you know, just by surrounding myself with the right circles. On Thursday, March 31st, Let's Walk It Out will be kicking off its second annual 222-mile ruck march in North Carolina. Raising awareness from Fayetteville to Camp Lejeune and back, Let's Walk It Out is dedicated to suicide prevention and overcoming the stigma often associated with PTS, all while benefiting charities committed to veteran wellness. Ten days, ten legs, but unlimited potential to be part of the solution. Volunteer, sponsorship, and participant opportunities can be found at letswalkitout.org. Together, let's work it out. 
Let's walk it out. Hey, uh, Susan, if there's anything else that uh, before we head out that you want to share with our listeners, any information you want to pass or anything you want to say to all the people listening right now? Um, I think the one thing I, I would leave you with is, you know, um, people might be thinking like, oh, you know, she's working with the University of Missouri uh, Law Clinic, the Veterans Clinic, um, but I didn't go to school there, so they can't help me. It's not like that. So it's just like you just have to find them. Um, so I will say if um, you're having problems with a VA claim and you just keep running into walls and things like that and you're needing some help or just needing some guidance. I mean, if you go to the Pancakes for Roger website and you you know shoot us an email, I can connect you to the right people and they can at least, you know, see if they can help your case. I mean, they've um, they currently have over 100 clients. They've secured over almost $10 million dollars in back pay and disability benefits for veterans since it's been around since 2014. I mean, that's, that's pretty awesome. So, um, and you know, Syracuse and the university of Missouri are kind of uh, known for having like the, the largest, the most impactful veterans clinics, but there's a lot of veterans clinics at major universities. So, you know, if this is something that you've been having trouble with and say you live in Florida, contact the major universities there at their law school and they might have some. Um, one of the cool things that the University of Missouri is doing is they're working with the med school. So they're getting med school students that are coming there and reading these, you know, these medical records and helping decipher them. And, you know, with the law students that are being trained, I mean, they're becoming ambassadors for veterans all across the country, no matter where they end up. So it's very, very cool and very refreshing. And how it got started is a woman named Angela Drake that her, her father was a Vietnam Um, veteran. Um, he actually uh, passed away there. And so she always wanted to kind of give tribute to him and had a law student that came in and said, Hey, I have a friend that's a veteran. They're having problems here. Like, what can we do? And she's like, I don't know, but we'll figure it out. And so that's kind of how it started. And it's just spidered from there. So, I mean, $10 million dollars is nothing to, to sneeze at. And I mean, and this is money that you guys deserve. I mean, you know, I think a lot of times people just think, Oh, if, you know, there's so many roadblocks. And I mean, my dad's VA claim took three years and we thought that was horrendous because he was a general and he was also a judge. So he would sit with the doctors and be like, this is how you have to write it so that it goes through. And, you know, and the VA website has like on average seven years for a claim. So, you know, and that's horrible. I mean, there's no reason for that. So it's just like anytime we can give a leg up or kind of connect people to the right people, you know, we're more than happy to do so. Thank you so much, Susan. Uh, Mike, you got anything? Uh, I have some questions for Susan after we close out the podcast because it's not directly related to her cause. But no. you can ask me if I was beaten. No, child. yeah. No. <laughs> I, I, I guess Let, the only thing I'll add, the only thing I'll add is that uh, for the people listening, is just think about this. This is this is a hashtag you put in the back of your head that anytime you have pancakes, take a picture, throw it in there. It's a it doesn't take any time. Everybody's on Instagram, anyways. So it doesn't take any extra time to just put this in the back of your head. You're having pancakes, quick picture, quick post. And it's not it, your way of donating and supporting a cause. And you're not really putting any lot of effort into it. It's just there for you to use. So I encourage everybody. I'm going to try to put it back in my my head that hopefully doesn't get lost with the other stuff. But uh, I bet you remember. That's what a lot of people tell me. I get people to say, I can't have pancakes now and not think about your dad. Yep. And people that never even knew my dad. So it's very cool. It's very, yeah, it's, very cool. It's just something that doesn't take any time out of anybody's freaking, you know, life pretty much. You having pancakes, remember it, click it, post it. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. It's, and then by it's, the too, it's too <laughs> easy. Hashtag pancakes for Roger, right? And most people like to take the the picture 
of their food before they even start eating. So, and, and I know some people that actually take the picture and need to post it before they can eat. I'm like, dude, I'm hungry. I'm just going to start eating now, right? So, 10 likes before I can eat. Right. <laughs> 10 <laughs> likes before I can eat. That's pretty cool. I'm going to do that one day. You know what? One day I'm going to post a picture. I go like, I won't start eating until I get 50 likes. And let's see how long. And no one takes. likes it. And no one likes it. You never <laughs> You're then I'll be starving. Then you're going to be like, I got coffee again because yeah. I wasn't entitled to my eggs. No, but so if, you go, if you're going to post pictures of, you know, what you're an IHOP or, or Waffle House or whatever, a post them, just add the hashtag Pancakes for Roger. I mean, and you're helping a great cause, right? So, but any, any, anyways, with that said, Susan, thank you for so much for uh, being a guest in our podcast. We really enjoyed the conversation with you. We hope we didn't get you in trouble. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll find out. And, uh, and to all our listeners that remember, uh, things are tough out there. Uh, watching the news get you depressed pretty much all of the time with everything that is going around the world. Uh, you probably get depressed every time you look at the news and see the gas prices going up. Uh, <laughs> uh, I know I'm getting depressed because I got to take a ride to Fort Benning on Thursday. So, yeah, that's seven and a half hours. In your Tahoe. In, yeah, in my Tahoe. Yeah. Oh. So, so, Two miles uh, to the no, gallon. No, it's yeah. not that bad. It's about 18. That's still not great. Uh, but, you know, but coming back, I'm hauling a trailer. So it's going to be more like 12 miles per, you know, per gallon. So anyways, uh, so whatever you do, remember, uh, there's people out there are willing to help you reach out to someone, talk to your friends, talk to your buddy. Uh, you're not alone. And remember, no matter what you do, Do not, do not cash out. Until next time.